show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Look at my eye. Lock a hand, thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Yes! Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. It's time! On the Sunday floor. Welcome in. It is UFC 288 on RJ Bell's Dream Preview Network. I'm AJ Hoffman. And joined once again by Sleepy J, pregame zone. Sleepy, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. So this was we we tried this out last uh, pay per view. We said, hey, you know, it's it's my slow time certainly after college basketball before football gets underway. So I said we might as well. We've got some time. Let's uh, let's run out these UFC pods. See if we can get some traction on them. And uh, it was it, it was fun, so we decided to do it again. Of course, my best bet from last card got canceled. That's always fun right before the fight. Uh, hopefully, that is not the case again as we record this on Thursday. But, you know, weigh-ins are tomorrow, so Lord knows what could happen between now and the time these guys get to the cage on Saturday. That said, we're going to do our best to break down the main event, the co-main event, uh, and then we'll each give our best bet for the podcast on this event uh, happening out in, uh, is it New Jersey or New York? I think it's New Jersey. Uh, so an, an East Coast card. It's it, it's almost unusual now to have these pay-per-views outside of Vegas, uh, but it's good to see it happening. And the main event uh, features a guy from the tri-state area there in Aljamain Sterling. The bantamweight champion taking on the former bantamweight champion, Henry Cejudo. And I guess, Sleepy, let's start there with that fight. Uh, this is about as close to a, a, a pick as you're going to find uh, in a title fight. You can, you can get minus 110s on each side out there. The places where it is... Uh, where there is a favorite, it's it's usually Sterling, the slightest favorite now. Actually, that's not true. I like I see at DraftKings, Aljamain's minus one twenty. Uh, I see at Caesars, Cejudo's minus one fifteen, and Aljamain's minus one hundred five. So, uh, it, it, basically, a pick 'em. We'll just call it. Uh, what do you see happening in this fight? Uh, is this going to be? I I, I guess I should mention. Uh, the prop for the total uh, over four and a half rounds is minus 160. Fight goes to decision minus 135 or minus 130 even out here. So there's there's a lot of thought that this is going to go five rounds. Who gets the best of this five-round title fight? Well, I think I wanted to play this the smart way. And before I made a bet, I said, you know what? Instead of me coming out with a handicap, let me go ahead and, and maybe ask AJ some questions before I actually make a pick because you know these guys probably better than I do. And the fact that the line's a coin flip tells me that it's a 50-50 fight. And as I'm sitting here looking at it and going through and rewatching fights and stuff like that, I'm like, I honestly don't know what to do. So I guess my first question to you, and this was, what do you make of, of Henry Cejudo coming back after a, you know, a three-year layoff? The guy hasn't fought since UFC 238. 
you know, do you, do you believe in ring rust? I mean, you, you've been in there before you kind of understand, you know, what that feels like. And if, you know, if, if, if it kind of affects these fighters, if Cejudo is not going to come in here, uh, let's just say running on all cylinders, I don't want anything to do with him. But I also don't know how good of an athlete he is, you know, how, how much of um, how much trouble he's going to go ahead and give Aljamain. So I guess my first question to you, AJ, is, is do you think ring rust is going to be an issue? Is it three years off going to be, you know, something that, that we need to go ahead and take into consideration? I think it has to be. I mean, we're talking three, almost three years to the day. If that's not like the most key factor, I don't know what is. Uh, Henry Cejudo is now 36 years old. That's three really key years to lose from 33 to 36, particularly in this division. Bantamweight is a division that has not been forgiving to older fighters. And really, you you can go back as far as Henry Cejudo's last fight. What did he do? He fought Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz was off a three and a half year layoff. And he, he this, this the division had just passed him by at least the elite of the division had just passed him by and not to say that Dom can't still win some big fights I'm sure he can but I think that that first fight back after a long time I, I that's something I I look to fade Sterling's in his prime and when you think about those two wins that Cejudo had at 135 the the Dominic Cruz fight which you know a three and a half year layoff and then Marlon Marais who wasn't the champion at the time. If you remember, TJ Dillashaw was the 135-pound champ. They were supposed to fight, and Dillashaw failed a a drug test. So he fought Marlon Marais for the title, and Marlon Marais basically beat up Henry Cejudo in round one, made made his striking look terrible. Cejudo couldn't reach him. And kudos to him. Uh, He survived it, and Marais gassed, and Cejudo got a finish. Like, this is the bantamweight champion. This is a fighter in his prime. Aljamain Sterling's not going to gas. And one thing particularly to think about is wrestling. Cejudo's the better wrestler on paper, no doubt. The guy's an Olympic champion. Uh, Aljamain Sterling is a division three wrestler. And Aljamain Sterling's MMA wrestling is very good. So is Cejudo's. The difference is this, though. Wrestling doesn't get better with age. Uh, wrestling gets harder and harder every time you go into the gym to, to, to practice like elite wrestlers wrestle less as they get older. So at 36 years old, it's hard for me to imagine that Henry Cejudo's wrestling is on point where, you know, Aljamain's in the, in the gym with, uh, Marab every, every day. And uh, these guys are just going right at it. And uh, here's the other thing. Oftentimes two wrestlers, when they're matched up, it tends to lead to striking matches. And Aljo has a seven-inch reach edge. And Cejudo's striking at bantamweight. For, he, it forces him to take risks because he's his, he's a small guy. It's hard for him to get inside, so he's got to walk through the fire. The good news is, I don't think that I, I don't think Sterling has the kind of power to to punish him for it, but. I do think Sterling can keep him outside. You know, Sterling before he really like took a big step, uh, used a lot of kicks in his game, uh, which doesn't really pair well with being a wrestler. But I could see him going back to that some. I could see a good range striking game from Aljamain. And this is me as like I'm one of the bigger Sterling haters you'll find out there. Uh, I'm not a fan of his, but I see there being a lot of stalemates here. 
I see it playing out like just in, in the thinnest of the margins. And I think Aljo being more active, being the more in his prime athlete, um, and having this size advantage, you know, fighting at his true weight class versus Cejudo, who's who's really a a one twenty fiver. Uh, although a lot of his career is marked by marred by having a hard time making that weight. I, I think Sterling's the only way I could look here. So so Aljo will be my choice. I, I do like the it goes to decision prop at minus one thirty. I, I think this is a whoever wins. I have a hard time seeing a finish here. I'm with you as far as not being an Aljo fan. I bet against him, you know, when he went up against Jan, and I, I thought he was maybe a little bit overrated, but not exactly proven. And you know, those two fights kind of proved to me that one, he belongs here in this fight. And then I had to ask myself something about Cejudo. And and look, I think maybe you can clear this up better than anybody, is that I'm worried if this is like a cash grab type of moment for him. It, does he even have that hunger like Aljo has to go ahead and win this title? So here's what I would say about it being, because I've heard that narrative a couple times. I don't know if cash grab is the right word. I think it's opportunistic. I think Henry has been sitting on the sidelines he, I think the idea of Henry making 125 again is, is out the window. Uh, you retire for three years. Like it, he had a hard time making 125 before. I, I don't see a way that he could possibly do that. He sees a champion in Sterling who has shown weakness. You mentioned those yawn fights. The first yawn fight, he got dominated. I, I, I lost quite a bit of money on that fight because I, I had I had Jan to win that fight and he throws that illegal knee with like it was like 40 seconds left in a fight that he was probably going to win 50 to 45 like he absolutely dominated Aljo I thought Jan beat Aljo in the second fight I think Henry Cejudo sees a flawed champion a guy that he thinks he could maybe go in and maybe not at his peak could go in and and take care of. And I think he saw that Aljo wasn't willing to fight Dvalishvili, who would have been the next guy in line for the title. So Cejudo said, this is a prime opportunity for me to go in here and and give it one more go. So cash grab, I guess is one, I guess you could put it that way. But I also think this is like, I, I don't think Henry Cejudo would take this fight or would have clamored for this fight if he didn't think there was a path to victory for him. So, and you know, I, I think you see most guys, like most guys at this level believe they can win every fight. But I, I think if there was a, like a guy just crushing people at this, at this division, maybe no one's like looking to raise their hand and, and, you know, jump out and say, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll fight that guy. Uh, but in this instance, uh, it, it feels like, yeah, this is a a very a winnable fight for him, thus the odds. So I think he looked at it as an opportunity to get back into the game and have a real shot of winning. Yeah, I don't question Cejudo's talent. I guess a lot of my question was, you know, about the motivation, you know, outside the ring and what might bring him back and all the rust and things like that. It sounds like Aljo is probably the way that you're going to go. That that was the way that I was leaning, you know, quite hard to. Like, I just feel like he's you know, he's, he's ready to go. Like he's ready to roll. And I just, I have a lot of questions about Cejudo. And look, if he goes out there and he dominates Aljo and, and looks really good, like he did in some of the last fights that he had, then maybe Aljo just isn't as good. I disagree with you a little bit, you know, with the yawn. I thought that yawn clearly won the first fight, but 
I kind of had Aljo win in the second. Oh, it's a close decision. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I was, I didn't think it was like a robbery by any means, but I, I thought Jan was the better fighter in that fight. It, it, but again, like if you, again, if you're counting on judges in 2023, good luck. Uh, it's as bad as ever. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I'll, I'll take, I'll take Sterling. I, I don't know if it's going to go the distance or not, but I think land, you know, minus 110, 115. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All right, let's look at the co-main event, which is a non-title fight, but also a five-round fight, which is intriguing. Uh, Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. You can get Gilbert Burns at minus 125. Come back on Muhammad uh, around 105. There's some one t- plus 110s out there. Uh, Gilbert Burns, Muhammad, this is the... the, the over four and a half rounds is minus one forty eight. Uh, goes to decision prop is minus one sixteen, minus one twelve that it doesn't go to decision. Um, so l- let's take a look at this one. And this is a fight. Remember that Bilal Muhammad was asking to be at one eighty five, and Gilbert Burns, who used to fight at one fifty five, said. Thanks, but no thanks. It's 170 or nothing for me. And remember, I think he probably thought he his mindset was, well, he's taking this on short notice. He just fought Masvidal. He's probably willing to take a a higher weight class fight. But Burns isn't. I mean, he's he's just not a a big guy. It wouldn't. I don't think it makes sense for him to fight at 185. What are your thoughts on this matchup? This is a a fight that could, I mean, it could end up being a title eliminator. Um, I, although it looks like Colby Covington's got the next shot. Uh, you'd assume that the winner of this fight is at the top of the heap with Colby, right? What, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Uh, who do you think stylistically has the edge? Well, I think both guys belong here. I think Muhammad and Burns have done enough, especially recently, you know, with what's on their resume. I was a little bit worried about Burns, you know, coming in here on a couple fights under his belt in just a short amount of time. I worried a little bit maybe about some recovery. Third fight of the year. Yeah, I mean, go back to when he fought Cosmo. I mean, those guys are beating the, the brakes off each other, and I'm like, you know, he might end up needing a year off or something like that. But, you know, here he is. I think this goes to distance, to be honest with you. I mean, I looked at, at, at this fight, and I started to look at the path to victory for both guys. And I don't know if Burns wants to stand and trade with Muhammad. Muhammad seems like he's more of, you know, a striker type guy that's going to look to go ahead and, and defend against takedowns. But I feel like this fight is going to lead to a title fight, and both guys are going to come in here defensive, not getting a phone booth fight. And that's the only thing that worries me is could it turn into a phone booth fight? You got to go five rounds. Could the gas tanks be empty? So I just I don't know if this goes to distance and at like minus one fifteen. That was certainly one wager I was going to make. I would like to take Burns just because I think I've picked him in like his last two fights and I've cashed tickets, but I wonder if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to the well too much, but that's the one reason why I really think that, that this can go the distance because Muhammad could take a punch. Like I've seen that guy get cracked a bunch of times. His chin's really good. Eight out of the last 11 have gone to the scorecards for Muhammad. Three of the last four are for Burns. Usually they're going to the scorecards, so that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Is is that this, this ends up going all the way to to the judges? I, I tend to agree. 
the one thing you said that I disagree with is that Muhammad is like the better striker. I, I don't agree with that. I think we saw him knock out Brady in his last fight, and but that's not what he generally is. He's not an explosive or, or powerful striker. I think Burns probably has more power, uh, particularly with like the hooks, the body kicks. Um, I think Muhammad's best chance of victory is holding Burns up against the cage and grinding on him. And but it's it's just so hard, man. Like we, you mentioned the the Hamzat fight. Hamzat had a hell of a time wrestling Gilbert Burns. And Hamzad is a lot bigger and a lot stronger than Muhammad is. And he couldn't he couldn't control that dude. It feels like if I had to to choose a side, I think I have to choose Burns here because I don't know where Muhammad is better than him. Like, is he a better wrestler? Yes. But Burns has been elite defensively as, as far as takedowns go. And once it hits the mat, does Muhammad want to be down there? Like Burns is a way better grappler once they're on the mat. Like this is one of the elite, elite submission grapplers in the world. So I I think the, the key is going to be like doing that clinch work for Muhammad. Uh, I I just think that there's a, there's a lot of paths to victory for Gilbert and it feels like there's one for for Bilal because like he don't really want to take down he's not he's not going to submit I mean this guy won the he won gold at worlds in jiu-jitsu like Bilal Muhammad's not going to submit him Bilal Muhammad's not going to knock him out Kamzat shouldn't he couldn't knock him out uh it just feels like there's a lot more ways for Burns to win so that's the way I would look uh and I I think I'm 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 with you. I, I tend to lean towards the over, but I think if I had to make a play on this fight, it's probably just on Burns uh, at around minus one twenty. And I don't mind that. And I like what you said though when you said that, like, what is Muhammad better at? And as you you know, I kind of had a light bulb moment. Like, as you said that, I'm sitting here thinking. I'm like going through it, and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like Muhammad's not better really than Burns in anything. So for me, it would be it would be to go the distance. I think that that that's probably the way that I would go. And you mentioned like submissions, like these guys don't get submitted. They've never been submitted in their career. So no, that was part of my, part of my handicap. The, the only concern I really have for Burns is, is, is he just taking too many fights in, in, you know, a short amount of time and, and, you know, stepping up in class again, and you know, fighting another monster type of opponent is the only thing that really worried me. Otherwise I would be with you. I would take Burns just because I like him and he's cash tickets for me. So, and, I, and he's looked good. I mean, he's looked really good in his last couple of fights. You know, you mentioned he's he's had a, a you know this is his third fight uh, of the year. The but it's Masvidal was a three round fight, but it wasn't hard work. I mean, it was it was one way traffic for Burns. He he didn't finish him. Masvidal's a tough guy to finish, but Burns dominated that fight. The, the fight uh, in January against Neil Magny was, I mean, it was basically Gilbert bullying Neil Magny until he got him on the ground and choking him out. Like you have, you have to go back to that Hamzat fight to find like a, a, a fight where he was really tested. And a lot of people thought after that fight, he'd never be the same. I mean, he's looked dominant since I, I, I think Gilbert is aware of where he's at right now. Like he he's won what, like nine of 11 fights. And the two losses are to Hamzat Shemaev, 
who might might be one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world, and Kamaru Usman. That's your two losses. You he understands that a win here has him knocking on the door for another title shot. So I don't think he'd take this fight if he didn't feel like his body was ready. Uh, if he, if he was like jumping into this thing trying to be lazy, he he probably would have said yes to one eighty five. Like if it was the idea of cutting down to 170 a month after you just did it was too much for him, he probably would have said, oh, let's fight at 185. I think he's staying ready right now. I think he's in good shape. Uh, I, I think that this is a, this is a good opportunity for him against a fighter who doesn't really have the weapons that, that he will need to be afraid of. I, like obviously Usman had the kind of power that, that was able to put him away uh, even you go back a good ways, uh, Dan Hooker, uh, knocked him out. Dan Hooker's another guy with, with really good power. Uh, and Hamzat obviously has good power. Hamzat was just also just gigantic compared to, uh, to Gilbert. But I, I don't think Bilal has the kind of power that can put away Gilbert Burns. And I think that's, if you're, if you're looking to fade Gilbert Burns, I want a guy who can knock him out. And that th- that just doesn't stri- it doesn't strike me that Bilal Muhammad is that guy. Yeah, I think after he ends up fighting Chimaev, and I think that that was something that we talked about on the podcast that we did the last time, is that sometimes like a loss like that could make you a better fighter. And I think we've seen that with him, you know, with big wins over Magny and Masvidal. I don't want to say he walked through him, but he he walked through Neil Magny. He walked through Neil Magny. Yeah, he beat him up pretty good. So I'm gonna say he he got better off of that. But let's say he loses to Muhammad. I think that's a crushing, a crushing type of loss. But do you think that he clearly got better after the Chamaya fight? Like that was actually a good loss for him because that's the way I felt. I think it it certainly raised his stock. Like it, it made people realize that this guy it, it wasn't a guy who because remember before he fought Usman, like his his big win was over Tyron Woodley. And it, it's a win that did it hasn't aged well. Mm. Uh, like uh, Tyron Woodley was a champion. I'm not like trying to disparage the guy, but uh, like no one looks at Tyron Woodley as like one of the great champions of all time. And it look it on in hindsight, he was on his way out. Uh, so I, I think what he when he when he had that the Wonder Boy fight and he won a decision, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world, but I, th- I think people respected. Oh, okay, he, he fought one of the best strikers in the world, was able to outpoint him. And then at the time, you have to remember, Hamza had. I mean, he had like one less than a minute of cage time. He he had absorbed one strike in three or four fights before that Gilbert Burns fight, and Gilbert Burns gave him all he could handle. So if anything, it just made it, it kind of opened people's eyes that, you know, Gilbert Burns isn't going anywhere. This is a legit guy. I think his stock rose off that fight. I think it's done nothing but rise since. I think a win here, again, like solidifies him as, as that guy. Is there any way you can get to Muhammad? Like, like in what situation would you go ahead and bet him? I'm not going to bet him, but I'm just curious, like what you think, like, how do you see him winning this fight? Because I I can't envision it, and that's one of the reasons why I just can't take him. I, if I were betting, like if I said, okay, I'm going to bet Bilal Muhammad, I would bet I would find a, a Bilal Muhammad by decision prop. I can't okay. I can't picture a world where he finishes Gilbert. So like I'm just going to to take whatever extra whatever extra payout I would get for for Bilal to win by decision because I just can't picture a scenario 
where he, he knocks him out, or and I just certainly can't picture one where he subs him. Uh, so Muhammad by decision is plus two twenty, which is you know double what you get. So that would be the uh, that'd be the way I look at it. And again, it, it's one of those uh, it, it's a coin flip when once it gets to the judges. Um, you, you know, we, we, we mentioned, we saw, we saw differently on the, the Jan Sterling, uh, two fight. Uh, a lot of people saw in Gilbert and Hamzat's fight. A lot of people said Gilbert probably should have won that, that decision. The, once it gets to the cards, who knows, but at plus two twenty, uh, if I were looking to back Muhammad, I, I I'd much rather have the, the hope that there's some shaky judging then that Bilal is going to somehow lock up a submission on Gilbert Burns. I, I I just can't see that happening. So the winner of this one, they're going to get a title shot, right? I think they'll get it after Colby Covington does. I think they've, Dana's already said Colby Covington is next in line. I would assume that's the case. Uh, but I, I would guess that who the winner of this fight is, is next for that. That's what I was getting at. Was it going to be, you know, a fight against Covington, uh, something more or less? Yeah. All right, so uh, let's l- before we get into our best bets, let me tell you guys UFC twenty UFC two zero is the promo code at pregame.com. We'll save you twenty percent off any anything at pregame.com. A best bet package uh, from your favorite pro. The Sleepy's there. I'm there. Mackenzie Rivers, great in NBA. Steve Fezzik, who's great, damn near everywhere. Scott Seidenberg. Uh, who's doing MLB NHL right now? Griffin Warner's doing MLB. We, uh, good fella. We, we've got a ton of guys there. Whoever you like, take twenty percent off, and that can be a long term package or just a a best bet package. Uh, either way, you can get it all twenty percent off using that promo code UFC two zero. That'll be good for seven days after the release of this pod. All right, I'm going to throw to you, Sleepy for your best bet on UFC 288. All right, I'm going to go to the prelim starter, and that's going to be a fight between Marina Rodriguez and Verna Janaroba. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Rodriguez at minus 135. I'm going to go ahead and start with the fade of Janaroba here. She seems to struggle when she steps up in class. You know, Rodriguez, in my opinion, is clearly in the upper tier of the women's strawweight division. Now, although Janaroba has had a handful of those kind of upper tier opponents under her belt, and look, I, I think they certainly elevate your game, but she was clearly beat by three of her toughest opponents in Esparza, uh, Mackenzie Dern, and Amanda Rebus. I feel like Rodriguez is probably out for revenge here. She's coming off of a tough loss against Amanda Lemos, which, I mean, she's no slouch. I think she's like ranked like fourth in that division right now. She's certainly one of the better fighters in that division, but I felt like I felt like Marina was making her run, and the, the Lemos fight kind of put a little bit of a you know a little bit of breaks on that. And then I wonder, you know, where does she end up? Uh, because she was uh, headlining a fight night card, and now she's opening up the prelim card. You know, what does a loss do for here? You know, does that put her on you know early prelim card, and then having to fight her way all the way back up, you know, the mountain in the strawweight division? And I just feel like motivation is going to be is going to be key for her here, and I do think she's the much better fighter. Uh, I think Janaroba is just a sloppy type of fighter, you know, whether she's on the feet or whether she's on the ground. You know, she loses to Rebus, who you know I like a lot. I would, you know, I take her out to dinner if I had the chance. <laughs> I think Rebus is better. Than, I think Rebus is clearly better than her. Uh, obviously, Aspars are clearly better than her. Mackenzie Dern clearly better. So I, I have to put. 
Rodriguez in, in like that group of, of people. And when I look at Janaroba, I just, I, I, I honestly just don't see it. I, I think she's just too sloppy on her feet and, and on the ground. And I think Marina Rodriguez will probably take her out. Um, I think it probably goes the distance, but at minus 135, I, I like Marina Rodriguez is my best bet. Yeah, I, I, I won't be on that. I, I feel like what I've seen out of Marina is when she struggles, it's against wrestlers. And Jandadroba is one of these one of the better grapplers in the division. She is a controlling wrestler once she gets a takedown. And you can go back to the Cynthia Calvillo fight. And Marina Marina's so good on her feet. I mean, she was piecing up Cynthia Calvillo. And once Calvillo said, Oh, I'm gonna wrestle, the fight changed. And it changed to the point where she was able to suck a draw out of it. Uh, when Carla Esparza got her wrestling going, that's when she was able to take over the fight against Marina. Like, and they started matching her up with girls who can't wrestle. And you know, Michelle Waterson was a good example, and it was a good win for Marina. Um, I think that I'm going to have a hard time ever backing Marina against like girls who I think are legit good wrestlers. And that's what I think of Jandro. Her, her striking is so poor. It's so poor. It's hard to like love to go to the window and say, give me Verna Jandaroba. Like I, she's going to dominate because she sucks so bad when she's standing up. But I do think that she is a good enough grappler and Marina's defensive wrestling is poor enough that this, this wager scares me some. All right, I can see that as well. A lot of that makes sense. What about your best bet there, AJ? I'm going to go with Drew Dober. And I could give out Drew Dober minus 200. That doesn't sound very fun. I'll go Drew Dober by KO, TKO, or disqualification at minus 105. Money's poured in on Steam Rolla Frivola. And I don't totally understand why. Dober is a lot more complete fighter. He's got absolute crushing power. And he's been in there with some of the best guys in the world already. Or already for and Matt Frivola is not one of the best guys in the world. This is going to be a crowd that is pro Frivola. He's a, a New York guy. He is he can be drawn into a crowd pleasing fight. Like if I thought Frivola was smart enough to lean on his wrestling, I'd give him a shot here. I don't think that's the case. Uh, and I think getting drawn into a crowd pleasing fight would be a nightmare in this fight. A thing that I really like for Dober here, who obviously wants to keep this on his feet, is that they're in the big cage. If this fight were in the apex, I could see Frivola in the smaller cage being able to to get pushed Dober against the cage, get a takedown. In the big cage, I think Dober can use the the footwork, uh, the movement that makes his striking so good. Uh, I think he's able to keep it at range. And I think th- this fight, which should be fireworks from the go, uh, I think it, it, Drew Dober's chin is just incredible. Like, I don't think Frivola can knock out Drew Dober. Uh, but Drew Dober, by KO, TKO, DQ, minus 105. I think when these guys get into firefight, uh, Dober is the guy who comes out on top. So give me Drew Dober to finish at minus 105 for my best bet. Yeah, I'd want no part of getting into a firefight with Dober. Let me ask you this question, too, because I always feel like sometimes, like, the UFC, like, they try to take the hometown guy. For sure. Or a guy who could just go ahead and fit against the fighter, like a Drew Dober, who, you know, we've seen him on main cards and we've seen him, you know, headlining fights and stuff like that. Like, he's a bigger name. A lot of a lot of UFC, you know, even moderate fans know who Drew Dober is. So I just wonder if it's just 
let, let's just put this fight together just to get the hometown guy against a big name guy. And if he, if he gets a win, then, you know, the spotlight's there, which makes me not want to bet the hometown guy. And we've seen that before, you know, with probably one of your guys, like, like a Derek Lewis fighting in Houston or something like that. And it was like, it just, sometimes it just doesn't feel right. Like it just feels like it's just, uh, it's kind of made up. It's like they, they set the stage the wrong way for that particular guy. And, you know, they come up short. You have to remember, like, Matt Frivola isn't without, you know, Matt Frivola is a big draw in in this arena. But Matt Frivola, without an A-side fighter, you can't put him, you know, uh, you, you can't even really make him the featured prelim fight. Like, like you can't put him very high up on the card. So I, I think putting putting him in there with Drew Dober, making that the featured prelim fight, like, it, it draws some attention because it's a name that people know. Uh, it's an accomplished guy, and it, it gives the, it. It's not an unwinnable fight for Frivola. It's just I, I think it's a fight that that Drew Dober has a lot of advantages in, but it lets him put Matt Frivola further up the card than he probably would have been otherwise. Yeah, there you go. I think you said it even better than I than I was thinking about it. <laughs> All right, well that will do it, uh, Sleepy. I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's always fun doing these. Hopefully, we'll get to do them. Uh, at least till football season kicks up. And then from there, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And hopefully we, uh, we found some winners here. Uh, enjoy the fights this weekend. And we will talk to you guys before UFC 289.